Here's another study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. anyone offers a grain offering to the Lord, his offering shall be a fine flour, and he shall pour oil on it and put frankincense on it. He shall bring it to Aaron's sons, the priests, one of whom shall take from it his handful of fine flour and oil with all the frankincense. And the priest shall burn it as a memorial on the altar, an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. The rest of the grain offering shall be Aaron's and his sons, it is most holy of the offerings to the Lord made by fire. So here we have the grain offering. If you have a King James version, and maybe there's some other Bibles that say it, it's called the meat offering. And uh, it's not meat as in meat. Uh, it's back in those days, the uh, meat referred to not just flesh, but it also, it just meant food in general. And so that's how it got translated, the meat offering. But it's, it's grain is what it is, as you'll see as we go through this chapter. Uh, this was one of the sacrifices or offerings that was bloodless as well. And like the burnt offering, on a national level for the children of Israel, for the priests, it was a mandatory uh, it was a mandatory thing that they had to do. It usually accompanied the other sacrifices that were required for the children of Israel. But on a personal level, just like the burnt offering, on a personal level, it was voluntary. You could, as, as the Lord laid it on your heart, as you felt you know, thanks, thankful for what the Lord's done or what he's doing, you could offer your grain offering at any time to the Lord. The burnt offering last week as we looked at it, it was an act of worship. And basically it was dedicating oneself wholly to the Lord. That's the whole purpose behind it. I'm dedicating myself unto the Lord. And, and the way it was pictured is that the whole animal uh, minus uh, the bull, you know, the bull hide was one thing that they didn't burn or the bird feathers in the crop. But other than that, all the animal was completely, totally consumed on the altar. And it was a picture of complete, whole, whole W-H-O-L-E, uh, whole dedication to the Lord. Well, the grain offering, as we're looking at this morning, this also is an act of worship. And uh, the ingredients of the grain offering, as we read through there, and we'll look at them again in more detail, all of them were products of husbandry. And what I mean by that, if you think about the fine flour, someone had to grow the grain and then cultivate it, and then harvest it, or cultivate and harvest, I guess it's the same thing, I'm not a farmer. Um, and then of course they had to sift it, you know, the threshing and all that, and then finally to mill it to get it to that fine texture. So there was labor involved with the fine flour. Likewise with the oil. Someone had to harvest or grow the olive trees and harvest the olives and then put them into an olive press and, and, and work the olive press to, to, uh, to extract the oil, the olives oil out of the, out of the olives. And then of course, there's probably some refining that went on uh, beyond that. Uh, the frankincense, that would be, uh, that was taken from sap of certain trees in the Middle East. And so someone had to go out to the tree and extract the sap from the tree, and then they do whatever they do to, you know, process it, and I'm sure they dried it or whatever else they did to it. Uh, and then even salt. 
you know, someone had to get the water, probably from the Dead Sea is where I'm guessing they, they got the salt in that area, and then, you know, put it out in some buckets or maybe in a, in a, in a, in a ditch or something and allow it to evaporate, the water to evaporate, and then harvest the salt itself. So all of these ingredients represented daily, lev uh, daily labor. And if you think about it, bread, it's basically the daily food of man. I know it's my daily food, man. I can't. Oh, Teresa and I once went on one of those protein diets, man. It was killing me because it's like, man, I love bread and I love carbs. <laughs> and uh, so, but, but bread, it's basically, it's a daily staple for people. It's essential to life. So the grain offering, it's an act of daily worship. That's what it pictures. It's thanking God for his daily provision, for the, the, the blessing us with the uh, basic necessities of our lives. It's also recognizing man's daily dependence on God. You know, you sometimes you think, well, I, I go to work and I do my job and I earn my living and it's my paycheck and man, I'm, I'm the one, you know, I went to school or I, I really worked hard for this job and yeah, you probably did, but guess what? God gave you the mind to learn. God gave you the physical body to do the work. God even sustains your health to enable you to continue working. So, you know, it all comes back to God. God's the one that blesses us with it. And so this, uh, this uh, grain offering is just acknowledging all that. This was an offering of thanksgiving. The burnt offering, of course, was a dedication of the whole person, every aspect, but this is a dedication of everyday life to the Lord. Now, as we read in that first few verses, the grain offering would belong to the priest. The, the, the offerer would do all the work, uh, harvesting or, or buying it or purchasing or whatever, and then preparing in their own dwelling, they prepare the, the, uh, the uh, unleavened bread, and, and then they would bring that to the priest. And so the offering would belong to the priest. The priest would burn a memorial portion of it to the Lord, and then they would keep the rest. That was a way that the Lord provided for the priests. Um, however, the sacrifice would be credited to the offerer's account, completely to them. That's the same thing today. You know, your financial offerings, maybe you, you, you give to this church to maintain uh, this church. It, it, it comes to the church. It, some of it's used for supporting, you know, paying the bills and everything. Some of it's for supporting me so I can minister to you here as your pastor. But it all gets credited to your account, whatever you give. Um, by the way, this isn't a message on giving, so don't, don't worry. I'm not going to like uh, have the ushers come forward. No, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> but listen, Paul wrote this in Philippians 4, verse 17. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Well, let's look at how Jesus Christ is pictured in the grain offering. And then also the application it has for our worship uh, of God. So fine flour, the first ingredient. Notice it was fine flour. It's a grade of flour ground fine from the best part of the wheat. Uh, it was in those days, fine flour, if you made something with fine flour, it was considered a food to be served. It was like a luxury item, kind of like someone was talking earlier about uh, king crabs, you know, king crab legs. I love king crab legs, but, you know, that we don't eat that every day. We can't afford to. In fact, we rarely eat it because we can't afford to. Um, but so this fine flour would be, it'd be served as a luxury item, typically in a king's household. Well, we see Christ pictured here in the fine flour, in the processing of the fine flour. You recall when Jesus was, the night that he was betrayed, 
Remember he called out, he talked to Simon, to Peter, and he, or yeah, Peter, and he said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. What did he mean by that? Well, we know later on when Peter followed Jesus into that courtyard and Jesus was being uh, examined by the priests and he's being beaten and everything. And then there's that little girl, that servant girl that looks at, it, that looks at Peter because he's, he's warming himself by the fire. There's a glow on his face. They go, hey, wait a minute. You were one of the guys that was with him. And of course, you know the story, right? Peter denied Jesus three times. Well, that was a temptation. That was a trial that Peter went through. Peter was sifted, just like Jesus said, and he failed. He denied Christ. But we know the rest of the story, right? The rest of the story, Jesus said, but I've prayed for you that your faith should not fail, and when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. What a comfort that is. The Lord Jesus Christ is praying for you, even now in heaven. Well, at the start of Christ's ministry, we know that he was baptized and immediately after he's baptized, he was sent by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. He was to be sifted for 40 days. But unlike Peter, he never failed. He came out of that sifting process as purifying flour. His excellency is indicated in the quality of the fine flour. Um, you know, we are offering our grain offering to the Lord, so to speak, when you and I thank him daily for his provisions. You know, we acknowledge that uh, we daily depend on the Lord. Hebrews 13, verse 15. Therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. So when you came in here this morning, and we started worshiping the Lord. You are, in effect, offering a grain offering to the Lord, thanking him for how he's just blessed you and provided for you and, and meeting your needs and, and how you're acknowledging, Lord, I, I, I need you. I, I'm depending on you. Well, Jesus, actually, the Lord had this to say to the priests in the book of Malachi. He said this in verse 6 through 8 in chapter 1. He says, A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am the father, where's my honor? And if I am a master, where is my reverence, says the Lord of hosts, to you priests who despise my name? Yet you say, in what way have we despised your name? And then verse 7 says, you offered defiled food on my altar. But say, I'm, in what way have we defiled you? By saying, the table of the Lord is contemptible. And this is what I want to draw your attention to. And when you offer the blind as a sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you offer the lame and the sick, is it not evil? Offer it then to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept it favorably, says the Lord? See, sometimes we offer less than fine flour to the Lord. Sometimes we offer less than the best sacrifices. Sometimes it's the leftovers of our time, leftovers of our talent, less leftovers of our treasure. Sometimes we fail to acknowledge his daily faithfulness. And I, I, I've been guilty of this too, coming in here worshiping the Lord and, you know, my, I, maybe I've got something on my mind. Uh, there's just something's been going on or, you know, Teresa and I never fight. But, you know, let's say for the sake of argument that we had a fight before we came in this, you know. And uh, so I got this, you know, I've got this uh, bad feeling or something's going on. Um, and then I come into worship and it's like, yeah, I praise you, Lord. I worship you. You know, it's lackluster. It's unauthentic. It's un. Uh, unenthusiastic. I like what this commentator said. We ought not to enter God's presence with the poverty of homage, 
with hearts cold and heedless, with no affection astir, with no sacred graces alert, but with all holy emotions and desire awake and intelligent perceptions quickened by forethought and prevision. In other words, when you come in to the worship of the Lord or in your daily worshiping of the Lord, man, are you like, you get into, you know, you start praying and like, Lord, I, I want to I hear from you. Speak to me out of your word. And then you dig into the word. When you come in in here this morning, go, Lord, I'm here to worship you and to thank you. I'll be honest with you. I've been in places where sometimes worship is like either I don't like the style of worship, maybe the music is like just not my style at all, or uh, maybe I don't like the choice of songs. And then I have a choice to make. Am I going to just sit there with my hands in my pocket just like, okay, I'm just going to endure this and get to the teaching? Or am I, you know, I'm here to worship the Lord. And yet, despite the music, I'm still in front of the Lord. He's still looking at my heart. So I need to worship him no matter what. Important thing to think about. Our Heavenly Father, you think about the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the very best sacrifice that God have, could have given to any of us. He's the very best. He's the fine flower. He's pictured in that fine flower. Well, one of the other ingredients of the uh, grain offering was oil. And in the Bible, oil is always a picture of the Holy Spirit. We're going to get to verse 4 in a few minutes here. But in verse 4, the grain offering was to be mixed or mingled with oil. And if you look at Jesus Christ, he was mixed or mingled with the Holy Spirit all the way from his conception, all the way through his ministry. When Joseph was considering, you know, he found out that Mary was pregnant. And he's like, well, I didn't do it, you know. And so there, you know, what, what's going on here? And he was about ready to put her away, which is a nice way of saying he was going to divorce her, basically. An angel spoke to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. All the way from conception, the Holy Spirit was involved in Jesus' life. In Isaiah 11, verse 2, it's a, it's a messianic chapter talking about prophesying the coming of the Messiah and it says the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him the spirit of wisdom and understanding the spirit of counsel and might the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord he'd be just mingled with the Holy Spirit in fact in Luke's gospel one time Jesus goes to a synagogue and in chapter 4 verse 17 they hand him the scroll of Isaiah and that was kind of a tradition in, in the synagogues. They would hand it to someone. That, one of the males in the synagogue would read scripture that morning. And, and it happened to be they gave it to Jesus to read. And he, wrote, he read what was found in Isaiah. It says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty, liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And then he closed the scroll and he handed it back to the attendant. And they're like, what's he going to say? What's he going to say? And he said, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Here's the servant anointed with oil to minister. I'm the person. That's what Jesus was saying. Well, you and I too, we've been anointed with oil, the Holy Spirit, when we were saved. When you're saved, you're given the gift of the Holy Spirit at the time of your salvation. We're, in a sense, mixed with oil as well. 1 John 2.20, but you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. 
Jude 1 verse 20, but you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is, a, the Bible says he's a sign and a seal of our salvation. Was well, the grain offering symbolizes dedication of everyday uh, to life to the Lord and acknowledging our daily dependence upon him and thanking him for his uh, daily provisions, our worship should be mingled with the Holy Spirit, so to speak. You say, well, okay, that sounds really lofty, but how do I do that? That's by daily walking in submission to the Holy Spirit. That's, it's, it's really simple. Um, when I say walking, in fact, when you read through the Bible, it talks about our walk. It's not like, you know, do you, do you have a chicken walk or, you know, how do you walk? No, um, it's, it's your daily life. That's what the Bible, when it talks about walking, it's talking about your daily life. Living a daily life in submission to the Holy Spirit. Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Galatians 5.25, Paul says this, if we live in the Spirit, let's also walk in the Spirit. So you have the Holy Spirit, so then start walking in submission to the Holy Spirit. Why is the daily walking in the Spirit so important? And it's described right there in verse 16 of chapter 5 in Galatians. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Let me ask you this, just rhetorically. Do you know when you're filled with the Spirit, when you're just, you know, when you're walking and submitting to the Holy Spirit? I'll be honest with you. I don't always know that. I, I, I really don't. But I do know this. I know when I'm not walking in the Spirit because then I'm fulfilling the lusts of the flesh. I, 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 know, I know when I'm not doing it, but I don't always know when I am doing it. So when I know when I'm not doing it, that's when I need to repent and say, Lord Jesus, please forgive me, and then start walking once more in the Holy Spirit according to the Holy Spirit. So the oil, a picture of the Spirit. Frankincense, what's frankincense a picture of? It's a picture of prayer. It was the, one of the ingredients that was in the incense that they would burn in the temple. In fact, in Luke's gospel, in chapter one, the father of John the Baptist, Zacharias, he was one of the priests and it was his turn to go in and burn incense, which was mixed with frankincense, at the, at the hour of, of burning of incense. And it says there in uh, Luke 1, verses 9, uh, according, talking about Zacharias, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord, and the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense. Because they knew that incense, when the incense is burning, it's symbolic of them praying, and so they're all praying while the incense is, is burning. In Revelation 8.3, it says, Then another angel, having a golden censer, came and stood at the altar, and he was given much incense, that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne. So incense, frankincense, it's a picture of prayer. You know, it's interesting in the gospel. We have so many prophecies that, that about Jesus Christ, the coming of the Messiah. We know that he would be born in Bethlehem. We know that he would be born of a virgin. We know that he would be a descendant of David. The Jews, they all knew these things. Hey, God is saying, hey, this is what my servant, the Messiah, this is what the Savior is going to look like. These, these are all the qualifications. But there was one other prophecy or clue about the Messiah. Isaiah 50 verse 4, and this is a Messianic chapter 
It says, the Lord God has given me the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak a word in season to him who is weary. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to hear as the learned. Hey, here's a clue, Israel. You're looking for the Messiah. Here's a clue. He's going to be a man of prayer. And look at the life of Jesus. That's all he was doing. He was constantly in prayer, often rising early, even before his disciples. He was a man of prayer, praying before he chose the disciples. He says, I don't do anything except for what the Father tells me, completely submitted to the Lord. How do you do that when you're in prayer? Seeking the Lord's guidance in communion and communication with the Lord. Guess what? The Bible even gives a clue about you. Did you know that there's a clue about you in the Bible? I'm serious. In Malachi chapter 1, the Bible says how you and I would be recognized later on. How many of you are Jews here, or Jewish race? We're not going to hear the person. Okay, there is someone. Praise the Lord. God bless you. The, most of us are Gentiles. Listen to this. Malachi 1.11. For from the rising of the sun, even to its going down, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. In every place, incense shall be offered to my name, and a pure offering for my name shall be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. Do you get what that says? Every place, anywhere in the world you go, morning and evening, from the rising of the sun to the second, in other words, at all times, you're going to recognize my people. They're going to be praying. They're people of prayer. That's why Paul says, Colossians 4.2, continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. So that should be a, that should be a mark of our lives. Are, are we people of prayer, seeking the Lord? Well, let's continue on here, verse 4. And if you bring as an offering a grain offering baked in the oven, it shall be unleavened cakes of fine flour mixed with oil, or unleavened wafers anointed with oil. But if your offering is a grain offering baked in a pan, it shall be a fine flour, unleavened, mixed with oil. All you bakers are like, your, your mind's turning, right? I don't understand exactly what they're saying. Uh, you shall break it in pieces and bore, pour oil on it. It is a grain offering. If your offering is a grain offering baked in a covered pan, it shall be made of fine flour with oil. You shall bring the grain offering that is made of these things to the Lord, and when it is presented to the priest, he shall bring it to the altar. Then the priest shall take from the grain offering a memorial portion and burn it on the altar. It is an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord, and what is left of the grain offering shall be Aaron's and his sons. It is most holy of the offerings to the Lord made by fire." So there were three ways that you could prepare the grain offering to bring it to the Lord. One way was to bake it in the oven. And you had options. You could bake it as unleavened cakes or you could bake it as unleavened wafers. And if you didn't want to do that, maybe you didn't have an oven or whatever, for whatever reason, you just wanted to bake it in a pan over an open flame, you could do that. Or you could bake it in a covered pan. But when you think about an oven, and you think about heat and fire. Now, last week, I mentioned that fire in the Bible is typically a picture of judgment. But it's not only a picture of judgment. It's also a picture of trials and temptations, struggles that you and I go through. We're going through the fire, you know. And some of that, the Lord uses that in our lives often to, to refine us, to burn away whatever is not of him. And in this picture here, we see a picture of our Messiah's suffering on the fire. First of all, notice it was could be baked in an oven. 
you know, we have a little light in our oven. Usually there's a towel hanging over, so you like, if you want to see what's baking, you have to move the towel, and then you, you have to flip on a light, because, man, you can't see anything in there. And then you're like, oh, man, she's, well, you can smell it first, and then it's like, oh, wow, she's baking bread. She breaks some bread. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> just trying to hint. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But you know, in even in the bread being baked in the oven, unseen, we see a picture of Jesus Christ. Because he suffered in ways unseen. In Hebrews 2, verse 18, it says, For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. You know, that temptation, that's a trial, that's a suffering that you and I go through. Sometimes people don't see, it's not external, people don't see you being tempted, but you know you're being tempted, you're going through some kind of a struggle or whatever. Hebrews 12.4 says, you have not yet resisted to bloodshed striving against sin. What does he mean by that? Well, sometimes we just give in to temptation. You think about it, in a sense, our suffering temptation, it ends when we give into the temptation. Once you give into the temptation, the temptation, you know, you're not being tempted anymore because you've given into it. Christ never surrendered to temptation, not once. He endured all that internal, you know, being tempted in the wilderness, being tempted throughout his ministry. You know, I'm certain he was tempted on the cross to 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 to, to get, you know, they're like, you know, save yourself, get down from the cross, you know. That that all those struggles that you and I we don't see it, but that he underwent that. The Garden of Gethsemane, you know, he was just asking the disciples to pray with them, and they kept falling asleep. He's alone, suffering, just him and the Father praying. When he was, those abuses were hurled at him on the cross. It's all that internal suffering that he endured. And of course, suffering in the open, you know, you see that pictured in the pan. You know, of course, we know that he suffered. We, we can read about it, about this crucifixion. For you and I, sometimes we suffer, people don't see it, right? Sometimes they see it, they know. I mean, I know that these folks were involved in an accident. That's a, that's a, I mean, it's a visible thing. We know about it and we know that they're suffering. We pray for them. Some of you are suffering and we don't know, you know, because maybe it's something so deep and personal, you, you just can't share it. I like this one song. We sing it every once in a while. It's called Blessed Be Your Name. First line says, or first verse is, Blessed be your name when the sun is shining down on me, when the world's as it should be. Blessed be your name. It's so easy to praise the Lord and bless him when things are just going awesome in your life. Lord, thank you for a beautiful day. No snow. <laughs> thank you, Lord. <laughs> you know, thank you for the goodness, the, the, the ways you've blessed me, for providing all that stuff. But then the next line, I think it's the next line in the song or the next verse. It says, blessed be your name on the road marked with suffering. Though there's pain in the offering, blessed be your name. You see, sometimes people don't know what you're going through. But you still are, you're still worshiping the Lord. You're still blessing him. Let's move on here, verse 11. No grain offering which you bring to the Lord shall be made with leaven, for you shall burn no leaven nor any honey in any offering to the Lord made by fire. So we have two things, two, two prohibitions, so to speak. No leaven, first thing. Leaven, well, leaven's a picture of sin and pride throughout the Bible. 
Uh, what they would do, I'm not a baker, but I think what they would do in those days, they'd take a little bit of the leavened dough from a previous batch and they'd use it to cause the next batch to rise. You just mix it in. A little bit of leaven raises, you know, works wonders. Well, in Jesus, there was no leaven. Jesus was sinless. 1 Peter 2.22, who committed no sin nor was deceit found in his mouth. And when you and I, when we're offering our worship to the Lord, we need to be careful about not getting puffed up with sin and pride. Paul said this to the Corinthians in chapter 5 or 6 of 1 Corinthians, your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Therefore purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, since you, are truly, since you truly are unleavened. For indeed Christ our Passover was sacrificed for us. You see, our worship of the Lord needs to be free of the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. So no leaven. We also see a, prohibit, a prohibition against honey. No honey. Now there's two possible reasons. We don't know exactly why, but there's new, two possible reasons. One of the possible reasons is that the uh, offerings that the pagans made in those days to their idols, they frequently included honey in their sacrifices. And so this could be just, uh, the message could be here, just don't worship like the world. Don't do what the pagans do. For us, you know, I think about churches. Sometimes churches, you know, they, I think every church wants to grow. But some churches, they take this, they get, they, they get this plan from the world. You know, like they get this growth seminar based on a business model. You know, if you do these things, you know, you, you, know, you can cause growth in your church. I get letters all the time, you know, attending this seminar or pay for this thing or whatever to get our church to grow. Um, it happens all the time. I think that's a way that sometimes ministries trying to operate like the world, you know, through marketing or manipulation or whatever. Or ministry adapting to the changing morality. Hey, the morality is changing. Well, the changing morality, I'll be honest with you, it's immorality. But the changing morality is like, we've got we've to become like everybody else. No, we don't. The other reason, possibly, is honey has the same fermenting nature with leaven. It would tend to cause things to rot quicker. And apparently, and I don't know this, I've never done it, but it gives off a bad smell when it's burned. I think about that. The works of the flesh, the works, you know, sin and pride, all those things, when they undergo the heat of the fire, they don't produce a soothing aroma to the Lord. They just burn off, right? Uh, they just burn off. Remember Paul talked about the wood, hay, and stubble burning, the things of the flesh, they just, they burn away. It's not a soothing aroma to the Lord. It's just, it's just what happens. Well, there was no corruption in Christ. Ephesians 5, 2, And walk in love as Christ also loved us, and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. The sinless Lamb of God sacrificed for us. It was a sweet-smelling aroma to the Lord. Verse 12, as we move on. As for the offering of the first fruits. You shall offer them to the Lord, but they shall not be burned on the altar for a sweet aroma. And every offering of your grain offering you shall season with salt. You shall not allow the salt of the covenant of your God to be lacking from your grain offering. With all your offerings you shall offer salt. So while every offering was not to include leaven or honey, every offering must include salt. Well, why, why salt? Well, we know the characteristics of salt, right? We know it definitely has a seasoning effect. 
Uh, have you ever had bland food? Is there's like no seasoning? It's like, but you add a little salt. It's like it's palatable, right? It it, it brings a flavor. It enhances, it enhances uh, foods. So we know it has a seasoning quality. We also know it has a preservative quality. Remember the pilgrims, or not the pilgrims, but the, the people coming across the United States, uh, you know, in the wagon trains and stuff, they had salt pork. You know, that's how they keep the pork from rotting because they, they'd be cured in salt. And so salt has a preserving quality. Salt also has a disinfecting quality. I remember one time I had a, a real bad sore throat. I was in the military, I was in boot camp, and I, I went to the infirmary, and they basically said, here, gargle, gargle with salt. So I had it, you know, it's like, okay. Uh, it has a disinfecting quality. And what's interesting also in biblical times, salt was very expensive. Today it's really cheap. It wasn't in those days. In fact, I didn't know this, but the word salary was de derived from the word salt. Aren't you glad you get paid money instead of salt? <laughs> you imagine here's your, here's your uh, pound of Epsom, you know, it's like, thanks. <laughs> Salt was highly valued in ancient days. In fact, its production was legally restricted so that it would retain its value. So it was historically used as a method of trade and currency. Well, in the Bible, probably because of the preservative quality of salt, salt is a picture of the perpetual covenant of God, of his faithfulness to his covenant. Second Chronicles 13 verse 5 kind of illustrates this. Should you not know that the Lord God of Israel gave dominion over Israel to David forever to him and his sons by a covenant of salt? So the salt was, a, was to, to symbolize the, the perpetuity of the covenant. And probably because of the seasoning quality of salt, it's a picture of grace. Colossians 4.6, let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Well, when we look at Jesus, we see the preservative nature of salt, the perpetual nature of salt. Hebrews 3, verses 1 and 2 says, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses also was faithful in all his house. Jesus was faithful to, his, to, to uh, coming to the earth to die for our sins. Listen, this is just an aside. But why is it so important to recognize that the church has not replaced Israel in prophecy and, uh, and in the promises? Because there's some churches that say, you know, all these promises in the Bible that, that refer to Israel in the Old Testament, they now apply to the church. And, the, and, the, and everything, is, it's just, it's been transferred to the church. And I don't agree with that. Why is it so important to recognize that, that the church has not replaced Israel? Listen, if God is faithful to Israel, if he's still faithful to his promises to Israel, then you can count on him also being faithful to his promises to you. All of God's promises to you and I, they're perpetual and unchanging. And it's not because of our faithfulness. Like if I just hang in there, then these promises are mine. And it's not even because of my unfaithfulness. It's because of his faithfulness, because of God who's, who's, who's faithful. Well, we see the seasoning nature of salt in Jesus Christ. Jesus was so full of grace. 
In fact, he was so full of grace that sinners flocked to him just to be around him, to eat with him, to listen to him. And that's one of the accusations of the Pharisees. Man, you've got sinners all around. You eat with sinners and stuff. Well, they loved Jesus. Why? Because of his grace. Grace does a lot of things. For you and I, Matthew 5.13, Jesus said, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You and I, we're salt. We're to have grace in us. Let me ask you this. Are people drawn to us because of our graciousness? Are we gracious in our speech? And not only in our speech, but in our hearts and our attitudes with people around us? Remember that verse I quoted earlier? Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how to answer each one. So do we, do we have, that, do we have that, that seasoning nature of grace in us? Do we have that preservative nature of salt? Are we faithful? Are we, are we faithful to our commitments to our spouses? Are we faithful to our commitments to our workplace are we, or to one another? Are, are we faithful? Are we faithful to the Lord? Do we have an antiseptic nature? In other words, does our involvement or interaction with others bring glory to God? Or are we part of the problem? Do we add to the corruption through our attitudes or the things we say or the things that they see us do or whatever? Or do we have that, that antiseptic, man, we, we, wherever we're at, man, we're a light for Jesus Christ. We're, we're glorifying God in our lives. Salt was valuable in ancient times, I mentioned that. All of our offerings and sacrifice to the Lord were to be seasoned with salt. And they think about the value, the value of salt in those days anyways. Our offerings and our sacrifices should cost us something. They should be meaningful to us, given with the sincerity of heart. Um, like when you're in the midst of suffering. Sometimes it's hard. It's hard to worship the Lord. I'll be honest with you. You know, you come in maybe here or in your own home and you've got something terrible going on. It's hard sometimes to worship the Lord in the midst of suffering. That doesn't change the fact that we need to, though, because it's when we do those things, then, it, then it's a meaningful sacrifice. And the Lord's pleased with that. It's a soothing aroma to the Lord. Mark 9, verse 49, For everyone will be seasoned with fire, and every sacrifice will be seasoned with salt. Salt is good, but if the salt loses its flavor, how will you season it? Have salt in yourselves, and have peace with one another. Let's just be filled with grace. Well, let's move on here. Verse 14, If you offer a grain offering of your first fruits to the Lord, you shall offer for the grain offering of your first fruits green heads of grain roasted on the fire, grain beaten from full heads, and you shall put oil on it and lay frankincense on it. It is a grain offering. Then the priest shall burn the memorial portion, part of its beaten grain and part of its oil, with all the frankincense as an offering made by fire to the Lord. So a grain offering could also be the offering of first fruits. And uh, in that case, it wouldn't, be, uh, it wouldn't be these cakes. It'd be green heads of grain roasted on the fire, uh, beaten from full heads. When we think about the offering of first fruits, and we'll be looking at that when we get into them more later on in Leviticus, but it really is a recognition of God's provision 
God's provided. It's looking forward to a bountiful harvest. You know, you, you get the first fruits and it's like you know that there's a harvest coming, a rest of the harvest. So, you, so you're offering it to him and you're thanking him for the harvest and you're looking forward to his future blessings. Well, Jesus Christ is pictured in the first off, the, the uh, uh, offering of the first fruits. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20. We looked at this a couple weeks ago. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man death, uh, for since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive, but each one in his own order. Christ the first fruits, and afterward those who are Christ's at his coming. You know, when, when a loved one passes away and you know that they've had a relationship with Jesus Christ, their life, is just, their life has been a testimony to Jesus. We, we do grieve. We do weep. We, we, our heart aches for the loss. But we don't weep like the world weeps because we know that we'll see them again if we have a relationship with the Lord. Because Jesus Christ was the first fruits, we know that there's going to be another. There's, there's, he was the first resurrected from the dead. We know that the rest of his followers, his children, are going to be resurrected as well. And so that gives us great hope in this life. For us, the first fruits, I think about this. Are we thankful for his blessings and his provisions? Do we give him the first fruits of our lives? I'm talking about the first fruits of our time. Do we, we, give the, do we give the best and the first time to the Lord? Do we give the best and the first of our talents to the Lord? We just, Lord, this is yours. It's for you. It's not for my recognition. It's not to make me feel good. It's not to, to it's for you, Lord God. I'm offering it to you and our treasure as well. Lord, it all comes, it all belongs to you. You've blessed me with it, Lord. I'm just giving back a portion to you. I'm thanking you for it. So do we do that? I would encourage you to do that. Um, why don't you stand and let's go, Lord, in prayer. We just uh, completed the chapter here.